In this market, it's harder to grow. And when you do, there are more operational distractions slowing your momentum. By building and maintaining a global payments and billing system, or reconciling revenue data. Paddle and Profitwell are coming together to take the load off your finance and engineering teams. We make subscription billing, payments, tax, and growth products that do it for you. In turn, you focus on what really matters, your team, customers, and products. Find out more at paddle.com. As we started developing out this revenue intelligence piece, we, we very hit, quickly hit a wall um, because inside Salesforce reporting is very good at kind of point in time reporting. Here's where you are today. What it's not so good at is showing you the change from last week or last month or last quarter to today. And being able to analyze that change is everything because you can see the momentum or the lack of. And so we went through a journey of taking all of these data points we were pushing into Salesforce and effectively building out our own standalone console. And we built out pipeline insights and forecast insights and account insights and, and so on. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Guy Rubin, founder and CEO of Ebster. Welcome, Guy. Thank you for having me, Alex. Good to have you on the podcast for the first time. We're kind of neighbors, uh, I sort of uh, understand. Obviously, not today because I, I'm in Ramsgate, but uh, you're around the corner from the office that we uh, are currently uh, inhabiting in, uh, in Shoreditch. Uh, and uh, so, you're, you're, are you there today? Is that yeah, Shoreditch Windows? Yes, we um, we moved uh, just behind Old Street um, uh, in oh, almost a year ago now. So uh, uh, we were in the West End for many years, uh, and then um, our lease happened to come up uh, during COVID. So uh, uh, we got out of there, and and then we kind of moved in here, as I say, uh, almost a year ago now, and uh, already bursting at the seams. So uh, might, might need to to grow again before you know it. Good. Well, uh, good problems. Good problems. Well, Guy. Um, Tell us a little about you uh, as a person. Let's start there. So who is Guy Rubin? Uh, okay, well, um, I suppose that's a, 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 lots of different ways of answering that question. Um, I, I get a real buzz out of helping people um, kind of achieve their potential. So uh, I kind of, um, uh, I have a, a group of people that I end up coaching and supporting. Uh, I really enjoy kind of helping peers achieve their potential and and getting value out of them as well. So I, I've got a kind of group of people I work really closely with and uh, we're always beating each other up um, on on kind of what's going on in their world and what's going on in mine. So learning and development's a big part of kind of things that keep get, get me up in the morning. Um, helping uh, and seeing people achieve that potential is is it really, there's nothing quite like it. Um, you know, getting relatively, um, perhaps relatively junior people joining a team and uh, and seeing them kind of flourish and develop into something really special. And uh, recently, um, a chap that joined us, uh, well, probably when we uh, very close to when we started, um, really just fresh out of university. Um, and he joined the board last week. So, uh, wow. you yeah, know, he's, he's gone through that whole journey. And it's, it's just been fans- fascinating to see how 
um, if you give people the right uh, the right energy and the right tools and, and the, uh, their potential just just kind of explodes. Um, especially if they've had challenging backgrounds and so on, you know, once they get a stable environment around them and the right the right tools, then uh, it's it's lovely to see how they can kind of really flourish and, and achieve their potential. Definitely amazing to see, and uh, um, that that's definitely a great reason for uh, for being for you, you know for, for for every day. So I, I, I love that. Definitely love you know with what we do in Sastock, everything you know, kind of helping people and. Uh, helping others uh, sometimes uh, it, i think certainly for the first three years so focused on helping others that I often forgot to kind of help myself <laughs> in, in a way i don't have you ever experienced that um yeah so. all, all, all the time right we, we it's it's really you know it's really important that you look after yourself as well i suppose but um yeah, you know, and and honestly, it's from a selfish perspective, right? We it, we we all get a lot of value when we when we help other people. So, um, you know, I I I know it serves me to to it gives me a real buzz when I when I can see the the people kind of evolve and develop and, and flourish in in our environment and or or in their own. So, you know, I I really um, uh, it's not unusual if we're going through a recruitment process and we're hiring people. If someone's not quite right for us, I still keep in touch with them and and, and help them find the right fit for them. So uh, uh, even if it's not with us, so yeah, always uh, that kind of thing really really excites me and and something that kind of gets me up in the morning. Very cool. So Ebster, is this your first business guy, um, first SaaS business? Uh, well, actually, um, I originally uh, my current uh, business partner Zach. Um, he's the clever. He's the clever one in the team. Uh, uh, we started, uh, and our original business was back in 2000. So um, we've been working together now for 23 years. Um, we our previous company was in recruitment technology, uh, and uh, we were there for seven or eight years before we kind of stepped away from that business. Um, learned all sorts of interesting things about how to raise money and spend it and uh, um, and a really um, uh, lots of learns uh, along the way um, it it, uh, it was a good journey for us and, and obviously we came into this business um, really kind of clear on what we liked and what we didn't um, and we started Ebster officially in I think 2012. So cool um, and so what is the founding story of Ebster, obviously your previous co-founder, uh, but why did you know why did you found it? What what's the sort of reasons behind that, uh, and and what does it do? Yeah, so I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go, I suppose. But um, we've always been passionate about, um, I suppose, about data and help uh, and and how the impact that data can have on an organisation. So our very first product um, in this in this guise was a, a very simple Chrome extension. Um, and um, it allows people to, or originally it allowed people to uh, effectively reference their CRM when they were on LinkedIn or reading their emails. And they were able to kind of transition between email and, and CRM really quickly. And, and that's kind of where we started. Um, and very quickly, we kind of realized that, um, uh, that actually asking reps to take responsibility for logging anything was never going to be successful. It doesn't matter how easy you make it, or you know, even if it's only one button. Um, and so we, we that took us on a journey of automating um, kind of email integration for Salesforce and then calendar integration for Salesforce um, and then uh, kind of contact sync for Salesforce as well. So uh, we, we effectively went through a journey of developing tools that made it really easy to log all the activity for the reps. Um, and then that became um, and then very quickly uh, that went that went viral. So I mean, we had. 
uh, at one point we had 50,000 companies free trial that product. Um, so we found uh, we, we, we were on the Salesforce app exchange and it just so happens we hit the right product at the right time. And there really wasn't any viable alternative ways of really syncing all your emails and contacts with Salesforce. So um, we became the number one app in the app exchange for two and a half years running. Uh, and that was great, right? Um, uh, we didn't make a lot of money because we were giving it away for free at the time, but uh, yeah. but we got a lot of companies flowing through our platform and, and it gave us access and visibility of kind of what was going on in all these disparate types of businesses all across the globe, all using Salesforce. Um, and we had this kind of eureka moment, I suppose, where we were able to see that there, there was a direct correlation with the amount of momentum going on, the amount of interactions back and forth um, uh, between the customer um, and the, our client and their customers uh, and the likelihood of their deals closing. And so once we could see that there was that kind of direct correlation, we went on a journey to um, develop our engagement score. And that really kind of changed our business. So trying to move customers away from measuring activity to measuring engagement um, took us down a journey uh, where we were able to show that there's a direct correlation between the amount of momentum you have, the amount of engagement you, you had with relevant stakeholders and the likelihood of that deal to close. Um, and that took us on a journey to deliver ins actionable insights on people's pipeline. Um, and then more recently, that evolved into what we call a revenue intelligence platform and delivered kind of intuitive forecasting solutions and kind of out the box ways of, of really assessing the pipeline, delivering those actionable insights and then understanding what number are we going to hit at the end of the month or the end of the quarter? And most importantly, what could we do to positively influence that number so that, so that it's bigger than, than what we're likely to hit if we don't, if we don't do that analysis? So do, do you still need to be a Salesforce uh, customer or user to use Ebster? Or is that now with the new revenue intelligence sort of platform, you you don't need to be on Salesforce? So um, we're now available out the box for Salesforce customers, but also for HubSpot CRM customers. So, And I'm, I'm under the impression that we're the only revenue intelligence platform for uh, HubSpot CRM customers. And that, that was a big step for us. So, uh, yeah, we are now officially agnostic. Um, we do have customers using a number of other CRMs, but if you want it out the box, um, yeah. Yeah, Salesforce or HubSpot CRM. Maybe maybe number one on HubSpot uh, App Store uh, for the next two years, if they have an App Store. I'm sure yeah, they do. Right? Yeah. They, they absolutely do, yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, I often get asked about the name and where Ebster kind of came from. And um, unfortunately, there's not a particularly exciting story, but it, it kind of, the, um, the name came from the ebb and flow of sales data. That was kind of where we came out up with the name Ebster. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully that makes a lot of sense, but, um, yeah, it's always a question I get asked. Very good. Uh, good stuff. And what about the data behind the company? So founded in 2012, uh, are you VC backed, bootstrapped? How many people, what metrics, you know, any revenue that you can share? So, uh, we are bootstrapped. Um, so again, that's one of the learns from our previous business. We, uh, we decided we wanted to, um, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of raising, raise capital if you can. Um, but I think when you, when you engage with a VC, you've got to be at a point where you absolutely categorically know that you can put a dollar at the top and it will generate five at the bottom. Um, and I think as we've evolved and transitioned the business, that really wasn't where we were at. We were still evolving that, that proposition or really kind of locking down product market fit and so on. So, um, it's obviously it's also probably fair to say that i uh i enjoy being in control uh, and so um I, I it was important for me at least to start with as a uh, to, to be a bootstrap business and 10 years on we we are we are still bootstraps um we've just passed the 700 customer line in the sand so we've got 700 paying customers now uh, on our platform 
Um, there's 44 of us in the company. Um, I expect us to be 60 people this year. Um, and I won't go into too much detail on our ARR, but we're, we're, we're under 10 million is, is what I'd say at this stage. Okay. On your way. On your way. Yep. Close. We're getting there. Oh. We're getting there Close. at a pace. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, congrats. I mean, bootstrapping, you know, 10 years, getting close to 10 million in revenue, soon to be 60 people, you know, uh, it, it, it's a great che- achievement. Um, so tell us a little bit about like the the last uh, sort of 24 months uh, or two years. Uh, I guess a lot of that is uh, a really kind of, um, you know, the COVID sort of period. But what have you been doing to grow the business? Um, and, and can you share what's worked well and what hasn't worked? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose the three things that come to mind, uh, the first was um, was was moving to a point where we could offer HubSpot customers a free trial experience. So um, we've done free trials before, as I mentioned uh, earlier, but not on the revenue intelligence piece. And so being able to, because HubSpot, te- HubSpot, HubSpot CRM customers tend to be relatively smaller compared to, to the Salesforce world. And what we wanted was a kind of an intuitive try before you buy experience where a HubSpot customer could come to Webster, log in once and kind of get visibility of kind of all of these actionable insights into their pipeline for a couple of weeks before they decided if they want to buy or not. So that went live um, about six months ago now and and that was that's been transformational for us and and really kind of driven us along this path of trying to become a lot more product-led than than being kind of that our competitors are still selling big solutions big change management programs big implementations you know 12 months in it's not unusual for our competitors to still be doing training programs and trying to get customers up and running well we wanted everything to be intuitive um we wanted everything to be a whole lot lighter um you know uh, the, and the try before you buy model is is kind of that there is no hiding, right? If if it doesn't deliver the value, then people aren't going to spend the money. So, um, you know, we really pride ourselves in being able to deliver value, our time to value being very very short. Um, and that was that was a big a big win for us this year, or the last couple of years. Um, one of the other wins, I suppose, would be uh, the way we work with partners. So uh, we've we've built a real focus on working with growth consultants. So. Um, five years ago, there was a big push in kind of SIs coming in and helping people implement things like Salesforce, um, SI being sales uh, system integrators. Now we're seeing a big push for kind of uh, growth consultancy, kind of experts coming in and helping businesses that perhaps their growth isn't as fast as they'd like it to be, helping them to really re-engineer the way they operate. And and so a lot of these growth consultants go into these businesses and do an initial audit. And as part, uh, and then after that audit, they come with some recommendations and they go through a program of change. So we've um, we've helped to enhance that initial audit. So be taking advantage of our short time to value, we're able to partner with these growth consultants to effectively do a, what we call a red report. So it's a a red, red standing for revenue engine diagnostics. So it's a kind of a one-off exercise where we go into a business, um, analyze all the deals they've closed in the last year or two, build a benchmark, and then compare it to live pipeline to identify risk. Um, so that that was a big win for us. Um, and then finally, I suppose um, we've always been very Salesforce centric. So uh, again, a big difference between us and our competitors was that all the services that we deliver, we were delivering inside Salesforce, while a lot of our uh, competitors were trying to take you out of Salesforce and into a different environment. So we were kind of waving that flag saying, you know, you've invested in Salesforce, let's make it work for you. Um, And then as we started developing out this revenue intelligence piece, we we very quickly hit a wall um, because inside Salesforce reporting um, is very good at kind of point in time reporting. Here's where you are today. 
what it's not so good at is showing you the change from last week or last month or last quarter to today. And, and being able to analyze that change is everything because you can see the momentum um, or the lack of. Um, and so we went through a journey of taking all of these data points we were pushing into Salesforce and effectively building out our own standalone console. And we built out pipeline insights and forecast insights and account insights and, and so on, um, really kind of showing change and, and, and making it really kind of easy to use. And I think what, what's been really uh, a big, and then the final step in that journey, so we kind of went from Salesforce into this standalone environment, and now that standalone environment's matured, we're taking those components and putting them back into Salesforce. And so when you open up an account, all of your account insights are actually in that account in Salesforce. When you open up an opportunity, all of the insights are in the opportunity. Um, and all the forecasting features are on the homepage inside Salesforce now. So those are probably the three wins for me over the last 24 months uh, that we've really focused on. What about anything um, that hasn't worked, something that you've tried, whether it's a, a big bet, something new, uh, but it didn't quite come off and why? And what, what, what were the lessons on that? Yeah, I had to I had to think about this one. Um, uh, not something you you know you always want to focus on, but um, I tell you, I, I suppose that the big the, the the big lesson for me was was try was not falling down the trap of trying to play someone else's game. Okay, again, let's be clear. Um, this area of revenue intelligence was a really unfashionable place to be two or three years ago, um, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, all of these huge players in San Francisco and on the West Coast have raised infinite capital to compete in what we would consider our space. Um, and then, and very quickly, we found ourselves trying to compete or play their game. And unsurprisingly, when we try and play their game, we lose because it's their game, right? Yeah. But actually, we we. We, we feel that what we do, we don't, we don't need to play their game. We don't need to compete from a perspective of, you know, we've got every bell and whistle that they have, or we can do a big complicated implementation or any of that, right? Because actually, we can deliver 80, 90% of the functionality and, and the value with, with 10% of the work. And actually, that's our USP. And, and if you want intuitive, simple, quick, short time to value, you know, get under the skin of what's going on in the, in, in the pipe. And actually, if, if frankly, affect this month, this quarter's quota. If you want to affect this quarter's quota, you can't, our competitors just won't be able to operate that quickly. They just can't do it. And, and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll deliver you something, you know, arguably very expensive, but a great platform that, you know, will change your world, but it will take a year to put it in. Uh, our approach is much lighter. So I think where we failed was when we tried to play someone else's game, when we tried to compete in, in a space where, where others had it already sewn up. And I'd, I'd, I'd encourage those founders and, and, and people scaling up to, to, to think about, you know, be proud of who you are and you haven't got to win every game, right? But, but work out what your wheelhouse is, work out what you want to be the, the, the winner of. Um, and there's no one out there that can, that can um, deliver the value that we can in the time period that we can deliver it. And, and so that's probably, you know, when we've gone, when we've gone that route, that's where I, the, the lessons I've learned and, um, yeah, trying to catch up with some old, trying to play catch up with old world forecasting solutions in my mind didn't didn't work for us. Uh, a great great lesson uh, there. You know, uh, thanks for for sharing that. And uh, yeah, we um, actually it was in March we met in person uh, at Sasot Local London. Uh, Nathan Lacker came over. He did a talk, um, uh, six surprising data valuations. Um, and I think there we had a brief chat, and I think even uh, I think you you put your hand up to 
you know, say that you, you'd recently taken some undiluted capital from Founderpath, from, from Nathan. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Obviously, you're a bootstrap business, but you've taken some undiluted capital. Um, why did you do it? You know, um, what have you used the money for? And yeah, like uh, it, it's a good, uh, whatever you can share, obviously, you know, it might be interesting for, for founders out there that are thinking about doing something similar. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, um, if anyone doesn't know who Nathan is, go and look him up, right? Because he's a force of nature uh, and his understanding yeah. of our space and our ecosystem is second to none. So um, perhaps perhaps I'd say uh, be, be cautious of, of what you share or, or decide before you meet with him what you want to share. Um, but he's uh, absolutely a, a fountain of knowledge as to how this world works. And, and so if you're if you're raising for the first time or you're or you're scaling fast, you know, if you've got any any questions around how the gotchas in that space, th there's no one better to talk to. Um, so, you know, I've known Nathan for a while. Um, we, we heard about Founder Path and what he was doing, um, which is a, and, and it's a phenomenal model. Um, you know, we've raised debt in the past uh, and uh, in, in a kind of a, a very traditional way. And, and if you're trying to raise debt in a, in a business in the UK um, from uh, other, say, venture uh, debt providers, um, you will... Uh, it, it can be quite a complex process and you have to get lawyers involved and they, they have to get warrants and, and all sorts of kind of, you know, you don't be unsurprised if you're spending 20 or 30 grand on legal fees. Um, and it can take quite, you know, a good couple of months to kind of jump through all the relevant hoops. Um, we found a path. It took us a week uh, and um, and the analysis and, and he they plugged into our sales force to have a look at the deals that we had and the customer base we had and the recurring revenue, what our churn rates were and so on. And then they offered us access to um, nearly a million dollars worth of capital. And then that was offered, that grew. So we were able to to draw down and nearly double that by, you know, within three months. So a very light touch, very easy to engage with. Um, and there weren't really any penalties involved either. And 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 frankly, as you say, no, no equity on the table. Um, so uh, the answer to your question that you asked is that, you know, why did we, why did we take on the money? Um, the truth is that we, we decided we wanted to do. We wanted to raise some capital. We we didn't we didn't do it through a VC. We did it through. There was a a group of um, ultra high net worths that um, had shown some interest in in the business. And as we were going through this journey of trying to negotiate the terms, um, it's fair to say you know we run the business quite lean. So you know we don't have a huge cash balance at any one time. And for us, it was important that we didn't it didn't come across as if we were you know desperate for the capital when, when we were going through those negotiations so off the back of a couple of phone calls within a week found a path to put some capital into our bank account it allowed us to show a, a much healthier balance sheet um and and it meant that when we came to the negotiations we weren't you know we weren't bent over a barrel we were able to really kind of stand from a position of strength um and i'm pleased to say we, we you know we raised nearly four and a half million dollars off the back of that raise um or as i say through net worth so i suppose a late seed round rather than a, a vc round but um uh frankly i don't think we would have been able to do it without the founder path money um now slightly frustratingly for for nathan we we paid back his capital kind of after the event because you know that was kind of why we used it for but I, I wouldn't hesitate to go back and use it again um it's just so flexible um and you know and as long as you've got a use for the capital then then, then go for it
A great uh, a scenario and use case there. So, um, you know, appreciate you sharing that and, and bringing that to life. And uh, so I had, I had a peek on the uh, the website, obviously, before you, you came on. Uh, I think saw some messaging around predictable sales growth. This is something I'm sure like all of our listeners, you, you know, everybody kind of wants, right, uh, uh, and aspires to. So what what tips, you, you know, can you give uh, to the listeners and watchers uh, to ensure better predictability for revenue growth? What what are the, maybe even some of the things that you do uh, to ensure this? Okay, I'll, I thought about this before. I knew the question was coming. So I want to keep it really simple for the people listening in to try and give them something to focus on. I suppose I would break it into a three-step process. Okay, so step one is um, you can't be – if you want to build a predictable sales engine, um, you – you, what you're effectively saying is you want to be data-driven. Okay, so that's the only way. And and you can't be data-driven without the data. And that's probably um, the first point of call. If, if you haven't got a consistent way of capturing all of the activity, all of the relationships that drive your revenue uh, and, and able to analyze that, then you're not even at the races. And so while it's boring and, and, it, uh, it, and it doesn't need to be the biggest project you know, in the world, um, frankly, we've 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 taken on some of these challenges in in days rather than weeks or months. But you can't be data driven without the data. So get data certainty in place. Get to a point where you've got com- you've got confidence in the data that you're looking at. If if you're looking at a forecast or a report and and you don't really believe the numbers behind it, because well, it's based on what people manually record in the system, and everyone embellishes them. Either they sandbag or they promise the world and it never comes. If you don't believe in the data, then there's no point even looking at the damn report. So step one is get data certainty. You can't be data driven without the data. The second thing I'd focus in on is is those actionable insights. Okay, so once you've uncovered that data, try and build out what your benchmark, what is the DNA of a good deal? What what does good look like? And be brutal about that, right? So how much engagement do you need with what stakeholders at every stage of that sales process? And, and frankly, that applies just as much in success renewals and upsells and cross-sales as it does in new business. 80% of our revenue doesn't come from new business, it comes from existing customers. And so understanding the levers um, that you need to pull to um, to achieve those uh, those benchmarks is everything. Um, and again, uh, uh, you need the data in the first place, and then you can build out those benchmarks. And I'll give you some good examples. Um, we went into a customer and we did some benchmarking for them around um, the, their conversion rates. Um, so, I, I mean, we, um, we 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 recently did a report um, that you you may be able to see. So you can actually download this for free from the website. So. We've analyzed, um, last year we analyzed 800,000 opportunities across the customer base. And obviously the customer base has increased. So this year we've now, we've now analyzed 1.6 million opportunities. Okay, and some phenomenal insights here, right? So for example, um, on average across all of these different customers with all of these opportunities, um, on average reps only close 30% of the deals they work on. And roughly speaking, uh, a complex B2B sales process takes about 100 days, obviously different different markets, but about 100 days to close off as one. And on average, uh, a deal will stay in pipe that closes lost 170 days. Okay, so all of this, so so you're only winning 30% of the deals you're going to open, and you're going to spend almost twice as much time on the deals that don't close as the ones that do. So you can imagine the level of inefficiency there is just phenomenal. Right. Um, Another great metric, because we're obsessed by measuring relationships and engagement. One of the interesting points we saw was when deals were at a late stage and you had good levels of engagement versus great levels of engagement, real bought buy in, real, real momentum, lots of engagement versus 
good levels of engagement, but not excellent. And the, the, the win rate was five times higher when you had excellent levels of engagement. And so, you know, if you've got good pipe, if you've got deals flowing through, um, you know, over-investing in those late-stage deals, perhaps getting the C-suite involved earlier, uh, you know, to help get those deals over the line, you're going to get a five times return on that money. So, um, you know, double down on those deals that with high levels of engagement. Um, and then multi-threading, right? So, uh, you know, over-invest, you know, are, are you getting enough stakeholders involved in the sales process and are they the right stakeholders? So actionable insights, really important. Try and understand what good looks like, the DNA of a good deal, and then compare where you are to that. And then ultimately, um, you know, integrate into your sales process a what we call a, a forecast cadence. So standardize, uh, introduce, you know, consistency across the board. So if you've got three different VPs of sales running, you know, EMEA, US and, U, and, and APAC, if they're all doing things in a different way, if they're all forecasting a different way, if they're all doing their pipeline review meetings in a different way, it's going to cause you all sorts of pains and inconsistencies. So knowing what good looks like and then, um, and then, cons- and then a consistent approach to pipeline review meetings all the way up to kind of, you know, VP reviews and, and submissions to the board, everything should be standardized across the board. Awesome. Uh, great tips there, Guy. Thanks for, for sharing those. And so if we look at, you, know, you said you're, you're on your way to 10 million uh, ARR. Um, if we look at 2022 or in 12 months time, you know, what are the things that you're doing to, uh, or going to be focusing on to help grow and, you know, maybe go past this sort of milestone, but it's certainly, you, you know, what, what are the kind of the growth focused areas for you uh, over the next 12 months? Um. Well, I think it's all about for us. It's uh, you know we, we've we, we've really scaled up our sales team in the UK. Um, I think we want to um, we want to land in the US uh, this year if we can. Um, it's a big step for us. Um, again, it's it's not a cheap step. So you know it's a big material investment. Um, but seventy percent of our addressable market is in North America, and uh, uh, and I think our competitors have had it far too easy, far too long. So uh, we're going to go and uh, land in the states. I'm hoping this year. Um, and I think, as I say, I think perhaps we won't hit 10 this year, but maybe by next year we should be at 10 and, and above. So uh, those are the goals. Um, yeah, you can hold me to it and, and, and beat me up next year if, if we haven't achieved it. So I'll, I'll hold you accountable uh, for sure. I'll uh, do my best to uh, put that in, in the uh, the memory bank there. Um, and um, sort of move, moving, I guess, more away from the business, but more to, to you and your career and, and being a CEO. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned, or maybe even the biggest lesson that you've learned over your career? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think it's invest in people. Um, you know, get the very best people you can afford. Um, you know, don't skimp. I think the lesson sometimes, if you, we've done it on a number of occasions when we had no money to kind of scale. We 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 would bring in junior resources that were far too junior, and then really overinvest in them and they weren't necessarily the right people to overinvest in so um de- definitely you know find find the very best people you can try and find people that are better than you in every role and and then and and then kind of get out their way um uh because frankly that's what you know great businesses are built by great people and and if you can find those good people and get them on your journey um it almost doesn't matter in the earlier stages kind of where they sit on the bus. What matters is that they're on the bus in the first place and they want to be on that bus. So yeah, invest, find the best people you can afford, maybe go over and above what you can afford uh, and just, just get them on your journey. And, and, you know, that's probably the best advice I can give you. Um, And, 
you know, great is the enemy of good, I suppose, is another one. You know, don't don't worry too much about things being perfect. You know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Um, but get it out there and learn. Learn as fast as you can. And, you know, one of the great one of the reasons we're still here is because we had those 50,000 free customers um, back in the day. And and that gave us a base. It gave us huge access, access to huge amounts of information and data that allowed us to understand what the market needed and, and how we were going to run. So, yeah, I think... Um, Run fast and break things. You know, don't 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 worry about being perfect. Get it out there uh, and and iteratively improve and 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 get the very best people you can. Good advice. So, what is the biggest challenge uh, so far for you for being being a CEO and you know being in the CEO seat? I mean, you don't want to complain at, at all, right? Because you've got the you've got the top job. But uh, you know, I suppose it can be it can be. Um, what do they say? Uh, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? It, it, it can be a little bit lonely at the top. I think, um, you know, primarily I have to be a rock for everybody. It doesn't matter whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. I, I have to be their rock. Um, and it, and that's what's important. And I think um, I find that a bit of a challenge because I, I'm a bit of heart, I'm a bit heart on sleeve in the way I operate. And, you know, if I'm having a bad day, it's pretty obvious to everyone around me. So, um, yeah, I think, I think being, um, you know, I suppose you know leaders eat last, right? So um, being there for everybody else, making sure that everyone else is looked after before you before you consider yourself is is key, um, and and consistency in that. So you know knowing that people can lean on you and and you, you're going to be there for them. That that can be tough. It can be really tough, especially you know day after day and week after week. You have to you know keep your mouth shut and just hear them out and support them as the best but way they can. And and you know sometimes you're not necessarily getting that support yourself. So yeah, I think that's that. That I suppose I found I found tough to to always be that rock for everybody else. And how do you improve yourself uh, as a CEO? How do you become better uh, uh, at your job? Um, just be humble, I suppose. Um, try and try and learn from those around you um, is really key. And and um, uh, it, it's very. It's very it's very easy for people to hide the reality away from you um, because you're the CEO, and um, it's also very it's also very easy for words that leave your mouth to arrive at their ears as something very different to what you were anticipating. Again, just because of your job title. Um, so, you know, it's the old it's the old adage, right? Two ears, one mouth. So, uh, you know, use them in that in that order um, or with that frequency. Uh, so, yeah, just just listen, be be kind and help um, help those around you and learn from those around you as best as you can. Um, try and be curious every day um, and ask for help uh, is probably another big one. When, when we started the business, um, we, I mean, we, again, we, I mean, we, we had no money at all. I mean, literally, you know, we had to bring our own coffee in uh, uh, to the, to, to before when we started and we, um, we used to ask some real heavy hitters to be our chairman for the day for our board meetings. Um, and no one ever said no. And everyone was quite happy to kind of, you know, oh, that's a very nice thing to ask. Okay, fine, I'll do it. And they kind of grill us. Um, so you'd be surprised. You, you can ask. Um, very few people are unwilling to help if you ask. Um, and as long as you ask the right question in the right way or the right, ask for the right support, 
there's very few people that won't give it. Uh, and for, as I said earlier, right, uh, you know, there's a reason I, I do, I coach people is because I enjoy it. It's for me, right? So, and people get value out of being asked. They, it makes them feel good when you, uh, I, I really value your input. I'd love your advice on something. Would you mind? Uh, no, you know, no one's going no to say no, right? Um, and so you, you end up with, you know, some really he real heavy hitters can give you their value if you ask for it. So don't be too proud to ask. Good stuff. And what about in terms of staying healthy so you, you can bring that energy, you know, for the, uh, I guess, what's required, you know, for the working week and, and, and more? Uh, what do you do to, to stay healthy and uh, sane as well? Um, uh, like pretty much everyone else in, you know, a, a lot of other people, um, I bought a Peloton during lockdown um, and now I get on it at least three times a week. So that kind of keeps me alive um uh so yeah that that's kind of one thing i've got a lot better with my food uh, my intake i think you know you are you are what you eat so i try to eat eat well doesn't always work but i do try um and family a lot of time with family right um uh and um you know while i claim to be the boss here my um i'm, I'm married to an israeli and uh and she's quite um uh, she's quite clear as to who's the boss at home. So, uh, you know, making sure that, that we all eat well and, and sleep well, you know, early nights, good food, regular exercise. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's just consistency. And that's, that's kind of what keeps me alive, I suppose, and keeps me sane. How many hours a night sleep do you get? Uh, somewhere between seven and eight. Yeah, pretty good. So it's not, not good. bad. Not bad. Yeah, as I say, I, I think um, it's a lot less when uh, if she's not around. So uh, uh, keep, keeps me in check. Good, good stuff. Where can people find you online, guy, if they want to reach out and uh, Ebster as well? Yeah, sure. So obviously Ebster.com, um, and you can download the report that we just talked about uh, for free. Uh, you can kick off a free trial if you're a HubSpot customer. Um, you can uh, follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Guy Rubin uh, on LinkedIn, or via email, guyrubin at ebster.com. Um, I'm very open to connecting with people and talking uh, you know, all things uh, revenue intelligence. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want to geek out on sales data, uh, reach out and let's have a chat. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Guy Rubin, CEO, founder of Ebster, thanks so much for coming on the SaaS Revolution show today. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for your time. Really enjoyed it as well. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.